0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness, and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I am personally very excited to bring you today's episode because it resonates for me so deeply and I'm excited and waiting to have this conversation. We are going to be talking about the highly sensitive person and how those characteristics may be interacting with the life of a new mother in the transition to motherhood. I've been really intrigued by this topic since listening to our guest today, Julie Bieland, when she was a guest on another podcast, and it just really made me think a lot about how these characteristics of a highly sensitive person might impact the transition to motherhood. So we're gonna get into that today. We're gonna to talk about who or what is an HSP or highly sensitive person, what might be a common experience for HSP women and mothers. And I'm excited to get into this exploratory conversation because there is research on HSP traits, but not yet quite on HSP traits in the perinatal woman. And so we're gonna explore this a little bit and try and get some foundational understanding just to kind of see how this might apply to the moms and women and fathers and people that are in the transition to parenthood. Our guest today, Julie Bieland, is an LMFT and HSP psychotherapist and author of Brain Training for the Highly Sensitive Person, Techniques to Reduce Anxiety and Overwhelming Emotions. Julie's mission is to help sensitive people reduce the challenges and increase the positives through her website, Specializing in Highly Sensitive People, also known as sensory processing sensitivity. Julie has a mission to spread awareness and education about the trait of high sensitivity and believes the world needs the gifts of sensitive people. So let's meet Julie. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I think this is going to be an excellent topic for us to talk about.
0: Yes, I do too. I am like a little giddy and sort of beyond excited <laughs> to have this conversation with you because like I was telling you just before we started, I've listened to you on another podcast called Women in Depth and your interviews there. And I, I love the work that Lourdes is doing there. And I just really listening to you on there made me make some connections between what it is potentially to be a highly sensitive person or highly sensitive mom and how that might impact going through this perinatal period. So I'd really like to dig into that and see what you know and see what you can share with us about that.
1: That sounds great. And I'm so glad you're doing that. We need people like you out there that are kind of specializing in these special niches and can pull in in different kinds of information to
0: help people through these times. Thank you. I do think it's going to be Really important for a lot of women and men to hear this. So I'd love to start just from the beginning and give people a basic understanding of what are we talking about. So we're going to talk about what it's like to be a highly sensitive person during this perinatal period. But if you can start giving us the foundation, what or who is an HSP or highly sensitive person?
1: Yes, sure. So we also call highly sensitive people, the scientific name is sensory processing sensitivity, and it is a trait, an inherited trait, and it is not a disorder, so that's good to kind of acknowledge, and it's already been found in over 100 species, it's the same across genders, and it's not the same thing as introversion, because there's actually 30% are extroverts and 70% are introverts, so there are a lot of overlapping, but not quite the same. And Elaine Aaron has really been a pioneer in researching this trait and often the person where most of us learned about the trait and it's been just a real passion of mine to work with highly sensitive people and helping them thrive because there's so many gifts and there's definitely challenges, but there's a lot of positives with this trait too. And then one thing that Elaine Aaron has come up with is she came up with the acronym DOES which describes the trait. So everybody that is highly sensitive, we call them HSPs for short, have D stands for depth of processing. O is for overstimulation. E is for emotionally responsive. And S is for sensitivity to subtle stimuli. And so it's about 20% of the population, although some of the newer research is showing it could be up to 30% or more if we're also including kind of lower sensitivities in that group.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So these are people who feel deeply on some level. I'm curious to know, is there a difference between having this highly sensitive trait and being an empath or is there a high crossover there too?
1: Yes. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that. I know Elaine Aaron kind of tries to stay away from conversations about empaths because she wants the research that's showing up for people who have this trait to be sort of scientifically based so that it's accepted amongst mm-hmm. the community. Sure. So There's been a lot of talk about what crosses over and what doesn't, but I tend to stay on kind of on the side of the linear and at this point anyways, just to make sure I'm kind of one of those people that are out there given the scientific definitions because we really want this to be something that this trait absolutely exists and we want Mm -hmm. it to be something that's really taken seriously in the medical community in the mental health community and things like that.
0: Yeah, and that makes so much sense to me, having listened to some of the stuff you've talked about, that there are many implications for having this sensory processing sensitivity. And another part of that is what I hear often is that people come in saying they're too sensitive or people have told them they are too sensitive. And that though even the word sensitive sometimes comes with a judgment or that somehow you're not able to handle things And I'm hoping that what you're saying, having the science behind this, you know, puts that idea away, that it's not just, oh, you can't handle stuff. It's that there's this actual process happening. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brain Child, comes Mysteries About True Histories affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods.
1: Yeah, um, so people. it's not connected to like a weakness or something. Mm-hmm. We actually, it's exciting because the new research is showing that there's, there's real brain differences in someone that's an HSP and that that's a very validating, I think, for us to know that and to mm-hmm. understand that. And I think that's a big part of moving towards acceptance of the trait. And also, you know, depending on, I work globally with HSPs, so I see differences depending on the culture and how mm-hmm. they define the word sensitive. Mm-hmm. So, like in you know, in the United States, the word "sensitive" tends to have that negative connotation, and definitely part of the group that's trying to change that and see that as more of a positive because it has so many positives. We certainly are more empathetic, more aware, more mm-hmm. intuitive, mm-hmm. more compassionate, and as to speak towards your subject, we're even seeing parents can be very creative parents with this trait if they're taking care of themselves in the right way, which I'm sure we're going to talk about today. Yes.
0: Yes. I really, I really, really, really hope to, because I think all of these traits that you're describing fit for so many, at least for a lot of the moms that are in my practice, but really even for myself, when I was listening to this, to your conversations on other podcasts, it just, you know, even after the fact, I'm healed, I'm better, but It just made me think like, oh my gosh, that's probably why things were so difficult. And it then obviously made me want to reach out to you and see if we could talk about that and which ways could this trait potentially make things more challenging during the transition into parenthood. And then to speak to your point, what are the benefits? What are the gifts that come with it? Yeah. So maybe we can start first with what might be a common experience for somebody who has this trait, a woman, a mother, what are the things they might be experiencing either just in general or in relation to motherhood?
1: Well, one of the things that I see most in my work with HSP moms is that we're usually at the bottom of our priority lists. Mm. You know, there's so much to do just in a day Mm -hmm. and being a mom, there's even more to do. So unless someone is, really consciously making efforts to like step up their self-care and do things that are taking care of themselves. It's not always a big default of ours with the trait in general I've seen. We tend to be take care of others first. Mm. That seems to be a big part of our trait and that's a beautiful thing that we take such good care of those around us and we often know what our partner's needs are before they even know them or (laughs) we know what our children's needs are before they even know them and that can be really beneficial to parenting. But what happens most of all is burnout, burnout, depletion. And I think there's a big difference between our wellness as you know, I think about I use the word kind of untrained HSP versus trained HSP. Yeah, to just kind of define like, once you learn about why you are the way you are, and why things impact you the way they do, it's really helps you understand that you need to do a certain kind of self-care and I consider self-care to be medicine for as sensitive people and you know that's going to look different to different people but in general self-care is sort of a conscious action that you take to do something that lowers your stress numbers brings you back down to like kind of a balanced, as close as you can be to a balanced centered state. And I'm a mom too. So Mm -hmm. I remember when my two children were 22 months apart and I was exhausted. (laughs) I was so exhausted. And I remember having meltdowns in the middle of the night because I was so sleep deprived. Right. And that's a big part of the problem is generally HSPs do a lot worse without enough sleep. Yes, it's it's a huge problem. I know for myself, I'm a completely different person if I've slept well Mm -hmm. versus I haven't had enough sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of the trait too is so kind of understanding that you're going to have specific needs as a highly sensitive person. And once you understand and meet those needs, then you really start to live your life in a completely different way. And a lot of moms come to me and they're like, there's no way I can, you know, take an hour to myself. But then when they kind of challenge them to be creative and find ways, they come back and tell me and like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I actually, I was so much more focused and efficient. I actually got more done when I took time to myself to recharge and refuel.
0: Yeah. And, and I think this is one of the great point in where the issue intersects for new parents is, I mean, there's all these in the backdrop, these cultural messages about what we should be doing as parents and as mothers and what motherhood is going to look like when we transition into this. And the self-sacrificing mother is a really common like myth and kind of yes. stereotype of what is that is. And especially if we don't have a practice of taking care of ourselves, and then we go into this transition where people are needing even more from us, I feel like this is really ripe for especially an HSP mom or dad to have a more difficult time during this transition.
1: Absolutely. Well said. I agree with everything that you said. That's really true. And I've seen, I've observed that people who have this trait generally are quite hard on themselves. Yeah. We tend to have very high expectations of ourselves and actually others around us too, which can lead to different problems in relationships and friendships and workspaces and such. But kind of understanding why you are the way you are is a great first step and start to kind of, I often talk about like we have these default settings that are Mm going to pop up and the default is, you know, Focus on everybody else's needs and be hard on ourselves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep.
1: And you know what's so sad? I have, and you probably can agree with me on this, I'm sure, in your experience. I've never heard a mom sit with me and say, I think I'm doing it all right. Right.
0: Right? No. It's I have not heard opposite.
1: that. I'm not doing enough or I'm mm-hmm. not enough. Something mm-hmm. like that so is the message, the label. And mm-hmm. the labels, we have to look at our labels.
0: Yeah, it's really pervasive to be feeling those things. And then I am thinking, you know, a lot of people feel that anyways, HSP or not. But then with this HSP trait, it's just felt so much more deeply. And I imagine feels more bad.
1: Yes. Uh. (laughs) Everything is a bit magnified and can be a bit magnified. And, you know, we have like... There are specific parts of our brain that get overactivated.
3: Mm-hmm. That
1: is also important to kind of understand it within the trait, and that that can impact us a lot as mothers.
0: What part is that that gets overactivated?
1: For example, we have a more activation in like the brain mirror neuron system. That's mm-hmm. one that will literally fire some of the same neurons as something that we're observing. So we can be yeah. very in tune with people around us. But if we don't learn about kind of creating certain boundaries with that and kind of a space between us and others, we're sort of merging into everybody's moods and everybody's Mm -hmm. experiences and everybody's pain. So that's an important thing to kind of pay attention to it has got its benefits. We need to be careful and make sure we're taking care of that part of ourselves, that we're not like losing ourselves in that. Mm -hmm. Um, That can be important. And There's a different research coming up about, you know, I've been saying in the past about that I believe that there's an increase in our amygdala activation, which is that fight, flight, freeze part of the brain. And we need to see more research in this area, but I'm definitely seeing high levels of anxiety in this trait. And in fact, I recommend people, you know, mental health professionals, doctors, and such, That when somebody presents with something that looks like anxiety, to screen them, to see if they have this trait. And almost all of the people that I've screened that show anxiety have this trait.
0: Mm. Wow, that says quite a bit. That says quite, I mean, right, because I mean, just thinking out loud, if you have this sensitivity, sensory processing sensitivity, of course you would feel anxious. It makes perfect sense to me that you're constantly trying to manage all of this stimulation. Sometimes you don't even know where it's coming from, especially, you know, if you if you happen to be sensitive to other people's like, emotional states and whatnot, or like you said, you're untrained in how to recognize this. What do you do with all of that extra feeling?
1: Yeah, exactly. And like you were saying about the sensory part of it, that's a part that a lot of us don't quite realize that we're experiencing until we understand more about the trait. Mm -hmm. You know, that can be like a baby crying, for example, or Mm -hmm. the noise of having young children in the home, for example, pops up as a big problem. But people often don't recognize that that's what it is. They'll just think that they're very irritable or Mm -hmm. they're angry. They're losing their temper or they're losing their patience or something like that. But a lot of times these are connected to sensory experiences, the the increase of that impact for us. And so kind of coming up with ways that kind of notice that. I mean, I've talked to both moms and dads about like, you know, maybe they come home after work or they're trying to make dinner at night and there's just so much noise. The TV's on, everybody's Mm -hmm. asking them for something, Mm -hmm. and they're just like snapping and irritable. And when they recognize like this might actually be a sensory thing,
3: Mm -hmm. Well, what if
1: we change the way we're doing things at home? Like when we're cooking, we have more quiet where we kind of teach the family that we have like sit down talks with them after we're we're doing our cooking or whatever it is. We also just need more support at home. I don't think that, Mm -hmm. I think the way families are doing it now is that everybody is so depleted, so overwhelmed, so exhausted. Yeah. And, you know, we're not set up as humans to, to be doing everything
0: that we're doing without more support. <laughs> it's so true. That is absolutely a thousand percent true. It is a lot. It is a lot. But what happens, I think, is, you know, that I'm really excited to see what the research says about the amygdala. And I definitely understand the mirror neuron thing. The implications for me when I think about a diagnosis or like something going on with a mom who's having like a perinatal anxiety or depression during pregnancy or postpartum, but very specifically for moms who have intrusive thoughts and being overwhelmed by their own overwhelm, if that makes sense. I mean, just <laughs> the, the implications of have, in my mind anyways, I'm theorizing completely, but of having this trait while going through the process of transition through pregnancy, through birth into this early postpartum period where everything is new. And there's potential to feel overwhelmed by so many things that are new. And then to have this trait, I just wonder how much it contributes to the perinatal anxiety or depression or OCD even.
1: Oh, I would think so a lot. And there's so many things if you think about the aspect of it, the kind of mind, body, spirit, indications of like, everything is changing, like your body's changing, your hormones are changing, your, your levels of energy are changing. Your relationship is changing. I mean, mm-hmm. we also tend to have a difficult time with changing and transitions too. Because I always make a joke that HSPs kind of want to run up ahead of themselves and smooth out the path before they get there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true.
1: <laughs> and now we're trying to do that with multiple people at home, right? Or are being pregnant? And yeah, it's really just so significant. And I I talk about this sometimes on some of my social media and post questions like this and. And a lot of the times what comes up for people as they talk about what worked and what didn't was, you know, the people that said when I could ask for some help or Mm -hmm. I could make sure we actually recommend that HSPs get two hours of alone time a day. And I know that moms think that that's completely impossible but there are creative ways to do that or to get close to that mm-hmm. you know i know like when my kids were little i made friends with other moms that were the same age and sometimes we would swap and you know take care of each other's children so that we mm-hmm. would get that time to ourselves or mm-hmm. we even did something for a while where we would cook for each other like wasn't that much harder to cook a larger amount. So Mm -hmm. say, by making a dish, I'd make a big amount for my friend. And then that would be her meal that she wouldn't have to prepare. And then vice versa, she'd do that for us. And little things like that help. And I know Lourdes, in fact, talked about this in one of the podcasts that she learned how to do downtime with her little young son, Mm -hmm. that he could also benefit from it by doing, you know, coloring or drawing or some quiet activity that she was also then in a quiet activity and I would do that with my kids I would kind of recognize that I would need quiet time so there would be certain times that would be designated like quiet times Mm -hmm. and everybody could do whatever they wanted but it had to be quiet and that was actually good for all of us and sensory related very important for the HSP system.
0: Right. So I'm thinking of right now, the mom who's listening, like, oh, maybe this is me. You named some of the common things that come up is that HSPs tend to need more sleep, I don't know if you said perfectionist but that's how mm-hmm. I interpreted it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I
1: always right. say we kind of have a perfectionist measuring stick with us that we're measuring everything against perfection, everything that we do. But the problem with doing that is that we fail every single time since there's no such thing as perfection. Oh man, right? We're, we're always feeling that we're not good enough or not mm-hmm. doing enough and and we need to change that message.
0: Yeah. Wow, that there's so many implications in the transition into motherhood with that. Oh, yeah, there's a lot there. So just yeah. to kind of highlight, highlight a couple of things that people could identify with you, know, the perfectionism, the needing more sleep, you went over a couple of others, if we can just kind of highlight some common traits in moms.
1: Yeah, I think the our self talk is a big part, uh, really important to pay attention to that we're often so critical with ourselves Mm -hmm. that that's like kicking ourselves while we're down instead of developing self-compassion. So I have observed that many of the HSPs I've worked with, including myself before I did my work, was that we have really low levels of self-compassion. Have you seen that?
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that correlates, makes sense if we're having high levels of you know, perfectionism, yeah. and, and high standards of ourselves. So developing self compassion is like one of the best things that you could do for yourself. And that takes time. That's a skill building technique that oh, you, have, right. you have to work on getting better at. It. I always say like the 10th time you do it is gonna be better than the first time you do it.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm really excited to get into the how that'll be great. So I'll, I'll keep that in mind for developing compassion. So tend to be perfectionist need more sleep. What's, what are some other things? You
1: mean in terms of like some of the challenges?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, what might somebody notice about themselves?
1: It's possible that you might get overstimulated a lot. Mm-hmm. And that can show up in different kinds of experiences, mood-wise, irritability, anger. A lot of times where we feel misunderstood, we feel different. I mean, if, mm. if there's only like 20% of us, we're, we are experiencing the world in a different way. And if we're feeling like there's something wrong with us, Mm. That is a layer of darkness on everything. Yeah. And, you know, that is an incredibly healing piece of the puzzle. And that's something I certainly had to work on was changing the message from, you know, I'm weird and different. There's something wrong with me to I'm unique and I've got these really special parts of this trait that make me you know more compassionate more empathetic mm-hmm. more aware we actually have an increase in certain parts of the brain that have to do with attention action planning levels of awareness levels of consciousness
0: mm. and
1: much of the research is showing that hsp's tend to do really well actually benefit the most from for example, therapy and different kinds of interventions, we tend to benefit the most from those. You know, I think once we kind of, I have found that for sure working with HSPs is once you kind of give them the information and point out levels of consciousness to kind of pay attention to in your mm-hmm. life, which is really the basis of everything in terms of self-care and being well, Yeah, um, that that just makes the biggest difference in the well-being of an HSP
0: Yeah, I can absolutely resonate with that. I mean, I think the first time I heard you say it's a sensory processing sensitivity, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense to me. And from then on, every time I felt overwhelmed, I was like, okay, I'm probably just, I'm overstimulated right now. I need to change something. Isn't that so different to like define it as that? As like, what's wrong with me? (laughs) Ah, Yeah, it's absolutely relieving. And, you know, I know like, Just as therapists, we tend to bring in people somehow who are similar to us or have the same set of things to deal with. So, I happen to have a lot of HSPs in my practice, a couple of HSP men as well, which I just think is so fascinating. We certainly don't talk about men being sensitive, you know, at all.
1: Yeah, and that shows up in different ways. You know, I've had some show up and say they think they have an anger problem. Or it might Mm -hmm. show up in a couple's work where they're arguing about something. And I can remember working with some that it's like they didn't even realize that there was some sort of sensory overload happening. And Mm -hmm. once when we came up with little things like one dad, I remember he would come home and it was like the stimulation of the loudness of the home when he Mm -hmm. got home with the kids Mm -hmm. would just set him off. So we yep. did little practices to kind of get him ready to sort of walk in the door. And he actually, we even recommended that he start wearing earplugs for the first 20 to 30 minutes that he would get home. And right. it helped. It changed everything because this couple was fighting and, you know, it was mm-hmm. things were happening and they didn't even recognize that that's what
0: that was. Right. I mean, that makes so much sense, too, when you can say, okay, well, this is not like who you are. This is not a you problem, so to speak. This is just how your brain processes stuff.
1: Yeah, it makes a difference to kind of go about it. I like to think of it as, like I really appreciate in my partner that there's just this sort of matter of fact nature about it. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you need this? Okay, we'll do that. It's, right. it's not something that we're looking at as like, this is a bad thing or this is a weakness. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, you do better going to restaurants at off peak times. Okay, let's do that. Right,
0: yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, know, instead of being completely overloaded by the the sound of a busy restaurant, for example.
0: That makes perfect sense. Okay, so yeah, as we've been talking through this, I keep thinking about all of the pregnant and postpartum moms that I meet with and I, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of the group members who come into the perinatal support group. You mentioned that how how difficult change can be, how overwhelming it can be to you know dealing with the high standards, wanting to kind of know what's coming before it comes, or at least smoothing it out beforehand. Feeling irritable, feeling misunderstood, feeling different—all of this stuff is so ripe in the perinatal period. And I just wonder, I mean, if some part of me is like, well, about 20% of moms will deal with a perinatal mental health condition, is that like, what are the chances that 20% of people are HSPs? You know, not suggesting that every person who has a perinatal mental health condition is also an HSP, but I imagine there's some deep overlap.
1: I would think so too. And in fact, we're thinking that at least 50% of clients in therapy in general our HSPs.
0: Mm. Wow. I mean, for 20% of the population, for 50% to be in the therapy population is a big number. Yeah, it's a big number. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Again, like I have no science around this, but my brain just starts kind of like trying to make connections and understand so that we can figure out how to support moms better and dads better through this transition that maybe we are missing something that we should be really, like you said before, screening all moms, all dads to see if they fit on this scale of sensory processing sensitivity. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that it's, you know, our scaling system that we're using right now is Elaine Aaron's 27 question test. It's like a true or false test. And in addition to that kind of being able to put together some of the the other pieces of it. But like myself scored 27 out of 27 on, I Mm. answered true to every single one of those questions Mm. and having been a mom with, I've had two children, I get it on a personal level as two. And I think that if there's a tendency to have anxiety and or depression anyway, that that can actually be increased in HSPs have a higher chance of having anxiety or depression in general, Mm -hmm. if we've had environments in our upbringing that didn't feel supportive. Right. And in fact, the research is showing that high sensitive children growing up in environments where they are supported and understood are actually less likely to have anxiety and depression. And if we were to transfer that information into a pregnant mom, for example, what if we were actually to support her in the right ways?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, that we could see big
0: changes happening. Absolutely. And then also impact her parenting experience or even her child's experience. I mean, just for me learning that my daughter is HSP also, my son's potentially also, and just understanding this trait about myself and that this could be part of who they are makes me parent in a different way. I take care of myself and them in a different way.
1: Yeah, good for you because that's how you're going to prevent. I mean, my boys now are 14 and 16 and I watch them and think, oh my gosh, like I never had that kind of confidence in (laughs) in myself and they don't have anxiety and depression and you know, it just impresses me and it makes Mm -hmm. me realize like it's definitely, I see that for sure what they're saying about it. If you can learn, like, not only are you going to be helping yourself, if you mm-hmm. learn about this, figure out the ways that take care of you best, mm-hmm. transfer that into raising your children with those same tools. Mm-hmm. And you're going to prevent a lot of problems for them in their life too.
0: Right. Right. I mean, even if we're all kind of was only so to speak taking care of ourselves. We're reducing our own irritability. We have more bandwidth, you know, when we are able to be present and there to kind of deal with whatever's coming at us. I just think there's so many good possibilities here in terms of understanding this trait, specifically, I mean for everybody, but in since this is what I do specifically for perinatal parents, women and men who are going and through the process of transition into parenthood, there's just so much potential to have an easier go of it if we re- understand this about ourselves.
3: Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster
4: clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast
5: I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility and joy.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think there needs to be kind of a paradigm shift too, Mm -hmm. and how our expectations of pregnant women, of new moms, of new families, all of it. And a big part of another piece to kind of add to what you were talking about earlier is a big thing that I see in HSPs is that many of us do not actually know what our needs are.
0: Yes. And if we don't
1: know what our needs
0: are, we're not going to have our needs met. That's so true. Oh my gosh, that's so true. So what can we do? There's a lot of really beautiful parts to this and well, I should say there's a lot of really beautiful parts to this. And also there's so much room for us to kind of do better for ourselves and do better for, I'm thinking of the therapists who are listening for the people that we're helping. So you said one possibility is help develop compassion. Um, Can you expand on that and talk about some other possibilities for healing?
1: Yeah. And self-compassion is such an important skill to develop. And I love Kristen Neff's work around that. And I teach kind of a three steps of self-compassion building. And I don't know if you want me to share that.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: So I love this one. And like when I first started my work, I had zero self-compassion. And so I'm one of those people that kept practicing and practicing and practicing until I actually started to feel it. Mm. And it's so important, like how we're talking to ourselves, because I believe that our experience is like manageable a lot of times, but it's the judgment that we're putting in on ourselves. That's that extra thousand pound weight that makes right. it impossible to manage in that moment. Mm-hmm. So if we're really struggling in a particular moment or we really need something, being able to practice self-compassion It literally lights up centers of the brain that are more calming, that are more positive, that, Mm -hmm. you know, will lead to feeling more energy, for example, less draining, because it's very draining to be so hard on ourselves. (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh, right?
1: Our our energy is so, um, we have to care for our energy. And I think Mm -hmm. as highly sensitive people, our energy tanks get drained faster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So caring for like, where is that energy going? is so important.
0: Yes. Yeah that's fantastic. Okay. That would really take some of that emotional burden off just to include self-compassion in. You did mention taking breaks as much as possible and that that's important. Can you say a little bit more about why that's important?
1: Oh, that's so important. Like I think about our nervous systems as like an internal motor. And Similar to like, if we were to floor the gas pedal of a car all day long, what's going to happen? That engine's going to burn out. Mm -hmm. And that's our experience too. And so taking little breaks throughout the day, I would say, I actually recommend HSPs like every time you go to the bathroom, because that's several times spread out throughout the day, Mm -hmm. you ask yourself two questions. How am I doing? And what do I need?
3: Wow. Wow. That's
0: really so simple, but so powerful.
1: Yeah, because if we're paying attention, we can do something about our needs. Like, oh, you know, actually, I'm really tired. Okay, mm-hmm. what do I need? Okay, I maybe I need to take a little rest. Okay, mm-hmm. the baby's going to go down for a nap. Maybe I'll nap with the baby. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women talked to me about breastfeeding as being something that was Of course, there's a variety of how women experience that. But a lot of HSP shared with me that breastfeeding was something that was soothing for them. And it releases some of those feel-good hormones. Mm -hmm. And so being able to do that in quiet spaces, like take that as your opportunity to go to the other room Mm -hmm. by yourself Mm -hmm. and lay quietly with the baby Mm -hmm. as an example.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a great idea. But I also appreciate the creativity of, you know, to allow yourself to take a break, even if you are doing something, even if you are still having to tend to the baby. But there are creative ways that you can do that, even if you're not actually sleeping, um, just resting, lowering, like turning down the volume on everything around you.
1: Yes, Uh, I would say get off your phones, your computers, (laughs) your to do list. Yeah. And really let yourself, like my thing is baths. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) I love baths. Mm -hmm. It's like something that just completely centers me and it's quiet and it's relaxing and it's something I have access to. Mm -hmm. Um, So another thing is mindfulness. I found uh, practicing little bits of mindfulness throughout the day can be really great for like, you know, thinking about turning down that engine, that internal you know, nervous system motor, little things like when you're taking a shower, or for example, be in the shower, right. like think about the water and the smells mm-hmm. and the sensory experience rather than having your brain, you know, moving a million miles a minute about like what you have to get done after that shower, right? Little things like you're drinking your cup of tea or coffee, be with it in that few mm-hmm. seconds right there, like purposely every day, do things that bring in a feeling of peace, positivity. Like I do things like, you know, look at the birds outside, listen to the birds outside. That's like, that's something that I love doing or paying attention to leaves on a plant, like Mm -hmm. really getting absorbed into nature, putting your feet into the grass, spending time in nature is a big one that Mm -hmm. usually makes people feel filled up. And you can do that with your kids too. Like I used to go places and, When my boys were little and, you know, let them explore around in nature. And it was good for all of us Mm -hmm. and little things that you do. But each one of these things that I'm talking about are conscious efforts. So if Mm -hmm. I step into the bathtub just to get clean, my experience is going to be very different than if I step into the bathtub as an act of self-love.
3: Yeah.
0: I just so so wish everybody could do this for themselves. I mean, it's going to sound sort of Pollyannish right now, but I just feel like the world would be a better place if we could all take care of ourselves with that kind of loving tenderness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and maybe, you know, that's something that you can do to support a friend that's pregnant Mm -hmm. or has a baby or has children is to encourage them to do these little things. And, sometimes we need to be reminded and in some cultures they actually have things where like the mother is at home for a whole month and everybody else is sort of taking care of them during that month
0: right yeah we (laughs) unfortunately don't have that we don't
1: have that but (laughs) we need to find ways that get closer to that somehow and really taking care of ourselves and our mom's
0: That's so important. I thank you so much. I feel like I could ask a million more questions about this just in, you know, in my mind, kind of, I feel like I need to sift through a little bit about what the implications are fully for pregnancy and birth and postpartum. But I'm hopeful that the people who are listening can either if you yourselves are identifying as an HSP, or your therapist who thinks you might be helping and supporting you know, perinatal folks during this transition to really take what Julie said and think deeply about how this might be applying to yourself or the parents you're supporting. Because we could be helping in so much of a deeper way if we're thinking about this trait. Yeah,
1: it's a very holistic process, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I agree, we could talk about this for hours and mm-hmm. such an important topic. And it's important that we talk about this that we get it out in the open and we normalize it for women yeah
0: thank you so much for giving us all of this information helping me and helping us really think about this more deeply and i'm so positive and hopeful that this is going to help so many people
1: yay thanks for having me it was really great to talk about this subject with you and i thank you for all you're doing thank you so much
0: I don't know about you guys, but my mind is sort of still buzzing from this and still trying to make some connections on how these traits of the HSP person might be impacting this transition to motherhood. And talking a little bit off air with Julie, we decided to further our conversation at some later point to try and get into really some other details of what this might look like and how understanding this might help someone who has these traits and who is going through the transition to parenthood. If you'd like to get connected to Julie, please find her at juliebielland.com, J-U-L-I-E-B-J-E-L-L-A-N-D.com. She's also on Facebook at The Highly Sensitive Person, Instagram, HSP Psychotherapist, and Twitter, Julie Bieland. As usual, if this is your first time joining us, please subscribe to this podcast so that you get each episode when it comes out every Monday. Then you'll be able to pick and choose, listen to the ones that really resonate for you. And I'd love to have you in our community at the Mom and Mind Facebook Connection. And please connect with us on any of our other social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We'd love to have you in our community. So glad to have you with us today. And until next time.